hey, this is a team sport, right? Uh, everyone likes to say that, but my goodness, do I believe it? Because uh, this was not only just a matter of distance, but of course, this was during the pandemic <laughs> when uh, you know it wasn't as easy to travel, at least for someone kind of in my health situation. So it's really about taking advantage of what resources we have, or at least in my case, the resources I had. So I had boots on the ground in a business partner in, in Chad Sutton. We have amazing technology like Zoom. I've got the persistence of a pit bull. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got Amy in with me from Pasadena, California. Amy, how are things out there on the left coast? Oh, incredible, my friend. Incredible. Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, my gosh. So I feel like you haven't been on podcast bus yet, but I like to break the hot breaking news. So I'm so glad you're here with us today. And you are here to give us some of the lessons that you've learned on this multifamily investing journey. You're, you're hitting it hot and heavy. You're partnered up with the folks at Quattro and you're buying stuff all over the country. So much so that I thought you were on the East Coast <laughs> with the deals <laughs> that you're buying. So uh, let the listeners know what you've been up to over the past couple of years. Sure thing. Sure thing. So I had the incredible fortune to bring a few deals to Quattro Capital over the past couple of years. And we've closed a few and few will be closed here in, in a few weeks. And I love this group. It really had, they've helped me grab a hold and get into this industry. It actually took me about 10 full years to break into this, this industry, believe it or not. So yeah, I've been on a tear <laughs> and it's been an incredible experience. What in the world? What do you mean 10 years? Like, what, <laughs> how, how does someone try to do this thing for 10 years? Tell me more. You got it. You got it. My, my story is a bit unique. I was born with cystic fibrosis. And for those who don't know what that is, it is a genetic illness where my lungs slowly deteriorate over time. And long story short, that my health kind of got in my way when I made the decision at age 30 that I wanted to invest in multifamily and stop trading my my time for money. So had some health struggles, but I am one tenacious little five foot two woman. <laughs> and when my mind gets set on something, I will do it. So had a few missteps and now I now have amazing health. And with the help of great Quattro Capital, including Maurice Philogene, I was able to break into the industry. There we have it. So you're in the game and you've done some deals and I know that you've made money on every deal. It's went exactly as you planned and everything is just perfect because all your tenants pay rent on time every month without you guys having to ask more than once, right? How did you know? It's like you're psychic. <laughs> I, I, well, when I listen to the other podcasts, that's what happens. So I just right. assume that when people come on here, they're going to tell me the same thing. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh my goodness. No, it is, a, it is a hairy industry. There are definitely missteps. There are definitely things that don't go as planned. So is there a particular deal that we can learn a little bit about today and hopefully get some golden nuggets for our listeners? Of course, of course. So a 58 unit in Clarksville, Tennessee that was closed about 
five months ago. I'm overjoyed to talk about. Okay. So I remember at least a post where there was like a celebration in Tennessee. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here, but this, this just looks <laughs> out of hand. I, they're on boats. They're, they're at these big houses. I, I don't know what's happening. So uh, outside of partying, what happened with this 58 unit? Well, it was, it was a very interesting acquisition because it's a scatter site. There are great things about a scatter site and there are also not so great things about a scatter site deal. And for those who don't know what that means, essentially, these are 58 units of duplexes, triplexes, and quads scattered around a few blocks in a neighborhood uh, about 50 miles northwest of Nashville, Tennessee. And something that I didn't know, but I learned along the way is lenders aren't always super excited to lend on scatter side apartments. Uh-uh, no, no. <laughs> you smile, you have a knowing smile, Jerome. So you've heard this before, but it was something Amy about a year ago was not aware of. So that presented some challenges in and of itself. Happy to talk about that. Yeah. So, I mean, did they not know, like when you brought them the deal that it was a thing or <laughs> did you have to go to a whole bunch of different people to get them to finally lend money on it? You know, I think some relationships that we had with with banks and lenders, they knew, but I think there were some differing opinions at the top and with those decision makers. And unfortunately, there were conversations of, oh, yes, we're fine with scatter sites. And then last minute changes where they uh, were not able or unwilling to lend. So that obviously made us very popular with the seller, right? They were they were ecstatic that we had to extend <laughs> the, the closing as we found another lender that would be willing to lend. So what do you actually say to a lender when something like, or not the lender, but a seller when something like that happens? Because, you know, they eventually start getting cold feet if it has enough hiccups along the way. They do. You know, I am, I always say that it's too exhausting to be anything other than honest. <laughs> it takes too much time. I just, I don't like that negative energy. So being honest, helping the seller and the broker know what's going on. We had the lender that eventually denied our loan request, write a letter, give information so we could pass on to the seller so they knew we weren't blowing smoke and kept them in the loop with our, with the second lender we decided to work with as we proceeded. So they knew. Again, we weren't messing around. We were holding our word and making our best effort to close the deal. You know, and that part is kind of disappointing because when they wipe their hands, they usually just wipe their hands. They kind of go dark. So do you feel like the taking the step of getting the lender to send that letter so you could forward it help keep your credibility with the seller? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And I think really, you know, kind of changing opinions on us or changing willingness to, to give us a loan. That was the least the lender could do. We have an existing relationship with them, some operating accounts for some of our other properties with this lender. So they, they really wanted to make good uh, the best they could in that circumstance for kind of the setback that they landed in our lap. Wow. Okay. And so did you lose any money or was it just a time delay? Like, What was the impact of actually having to change horses late in the race? The impact was actually positive, believe it or not. Uh, we ended up getting better loan terms. I remember my business partner, Chad Sutton, and I saying, you know, this or something better, Lord, was our, was our mantra uh, as we were denied the first loan. But the loan terms actually ended up being more favorable. We were able to borrow uh, a bit more of the CapEx and returns for our investors ended up being more favorable. So we did lose time. Uh, we did frustrate 
our <laughs> the seller and the broker, but we did not lose money, fortunately, and the deal ended up being sweeter. Wow. And so there was a broker involved in this deal. Was the broker on the sell side or the buy side? The broker was on the sell side. Okay. And so how does one get a relationship with a broker in Clarksville, Tennessee, when they live in Pasadena, California? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, this is a team sport, right? Uh, Everyone likes to say that, but my goodness, do I believe it? Because uh, this was not only just a matter of distance, but of course, this was during the pandemic <laughs> when, uh, you know, it wasn't as easy to travel, at least for someone kind of in my health situation. So it's really about taking advantage of what resources we have, or at least in my case, the resources I had. So I had boots on the ground in a business partner in, in Chad Sutton. We have amazing technology like Zoom. I've got the persistence of a pit bull. So making sure I kept in touch and <laughs> used my bright smile to, to also uh, make it easier for the frequency of, of which I was t- touching base. And of course, leveraging the credibility of what the team had done over the past few years. All of that led to what is still an outstanding broker relationship with this gentleman. A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators, but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get their next deal done. We've developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they do, they create the time and location freedom, as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family. The Myers methods of multifamily investing have proved to be the fastest way to establish credibility and properly grow an apartment portfolio. If you want to know more about our four-step process, jump over to MyersMethods.com to get our free four-step guide to getting into multifamily investing. Let's get back to the episode. Wow. So because you were able to close the deal, everything came back together, even though there was some friction along the way. Is there any other guidance that you would give to the listeners about maintaining you know, rapport with brokers when things go wrong or with the seller, if you guys were talking to the seller directly? Yes, I think... You know, I just, I don't, I cannot emphasize honesty enough. Sometimes honesty is one of the most uncomfortable things. (laughs) No one likes to give bad news. I think that can just be uh, very stressful, especially if you're a bit of a people pleaser like I am. But at the end of the day, maintaining that honesty is the core to the relationship, even whether it's personal or professional. So above and beyond that, I think that is the shortcut for this type of situation. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people get uncomfortable with it, right? Because it's like, well, if they know that, then what are they going to think? And so what do you say about that line of thinking? You know, I think acknowledging that there is discomfort. I don't shy away from it, calling it what it is. You know, I'm uncomfortable. All right. But I can still take positive action. I can still move forward and do what needs to be done despite the discomfort. Or I can even lean into the discomfort. It's kind of a habit. You know, all of us get up and maybe go to the gym when we don't want to or, you know, show up at our W2 job that we don't want to do. And it's okay to be uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that you don't still do what you know is best. Yeah. And honesty is best because now you don't have to remember anything except for what actually yeah. happened, right? I'm telling you, <laughs> it's a big energy saver. It is. Man. Okay. And so you guys closed the deal. Tell me some more about this story. I think I saw some pictures, like there's some things happening there and some value being added, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. Some more bumps along the way though, if you want to hear that part as well after closing. Tell me more. I love, the, I love that <laughs> stuff. Give me some yeah. more. I figured, I figured. The day after we closed, we got a call from our property manager who told us that there was a wheelchair-bound woman 
who a week prior was placed in a second story unit. (sighs) I can almost not talk about it because it hurts my heart so much. I don't know how that decision was made with the previous owner. I don't know who saw a, you know, it's hard to miss a woman that's, that's in a wheelchair. I don't know how that decision was made, but obviously from a human perspective above and beyond, you know, our legal uh, obligations, we were devastated to hear that this woman was forced to scoot down the stairs on her tush um, in order to go out of her apartment building. I know it's really tough to describe uh, pretty inhumane in my opinion, but obviously the onus was on us to take action right away, which thankfully we did. We paid and helped her relocate to a first story apartment unit that was wheelchair accessible. Obviously, she was very grateful, but and uh, is now a very, very happy resident knowing that we did everything we could in the shortest amount of time possible to make sure she was safe and comfortable just the day after we closed. I see a puzzled look on your face. I know. I'm so curious. Like, one, how'd you guys find out about it? And then, two, like, did they give you a backstory or they just said, ah, here it is? Yeah, unfortunately, the latter. We found out because our property management team is very hands-on, especially as we uh, take over properties. So as they were meeting the residents, addressing work, outstanding work orders that hadn't been taken care of in a few months, we, we encountered this, this lovely woman. Yeah, no more information from the previous owner, unfortunately. I'm not sure that any of it would be relevant <laughs> anyway. I, I think uh, you know we're all pretty equally horrified, regardless of the rationale. Yeah, well, you know, the only thing that I could think that would possibly make this even halfway reasonable is they said, this is all we have. And she said, I'll take it. Like, that's the only thing that I, I can think of. But even right. that just... I don't even know if you can offer it to them because anyway, so long story short, we are not all caring landlords is kind of the end all be all to that story, right? It's a big lesson. Yes, 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 yes. Not everyone kind of has the ethical or moral outlook that is the same. That's kind of a bare minimum, this story, but yes. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That's what that is. So were there any more surprises on this deal? (laughs) We had one other surprise, unfortunately, that was some flooring that was not done perfectly, and there was some kind of rot and um, just some shoddy work there. It would have been pretty difficult, I think, during due diligence to uncover this just because, you know, some of it was under carpet, some of it was, you know, under, under area rugs, but... You know, this is what we budget for, right? This is why we pad our CapEx budgets, why we're very conservative in our underwriting, because we anticipate kind of the unknown unknowns of what kind of deferred maintenance may be lying around the corner that wasn't covered in, in our initial due diligence. Wow. And so what type of flooring was it? I'm curious about rotting flooring. This is all, this is going to get really interesting. We're getting tired. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, you know, I can't remember off the top of my head, Jerome, unfortunately, but there were just some shoddy repairs. There was some mold, which I know isn't typically in flooring and, and, and a few other, yeah, not so exciting things, uh, water damage and such. Uh, was it in the bathroom or the kitchen at least? <laughs> kitchen. Yes. That's exactly right. That's okay. exactly right. All right. Uh, I don't know if I let it slide, but it's still challenging. So did, was there like, was were there a lot of units or it was just like one or two? So this is about eight units. So a good, a good percent out of 58. Yeah. Yeah. Was that in the CapEx budget? <laughs> 
There was some margin in the CapEx budget. Yes, yes. So we, we've done okay. Uh, we will we'll be all right. We're able to take a little bit from some other savings that we, you know, some CapEx activities that we thought we would do. So, you know. <laughs> that means it was. wasn't in the budget, but we no. have some slush. So <laughs> we found this. We're going to fix it because it's the right thing to do. I know what right that is. You get it. Yeah. You get it. You get and, it. Yes. And I mean, it's, it's really interesting because we're looking at a project right now. And they want me to do an estimate by unit. And I'm like, Ooh. I'm not going in each unit to tell you exactly how much we think we're going to spend here because I don't know. And once we get started, we're going to find other stuff and yes. we're going to find things that we don't have to do. And I think it's a tremendous waste of time to go through every unit and do this for what's a reasonably sized property. So anyway, uh. we're going back and forth about that. But yeah, I, I think the level and I don't know. I I feel like I'm the only person that's on this side of the seesaw, but there's there's always this level of precision that people are offering. And it's like we're measuring with a micrometer and then we're marking the place on the paper or on the wood with a freaking magic marker that you give to a kid. Right. Like it's like we're it's not that precise. And if you pretend for it to be that precise, you're setting yourself up for what I consider to be failure. And so I think you made a very eloquent point kind of indirectly, and that's make sure you have some contingency, right? Making sure that you can prioritize how you're going to spend your dollars. And, you know, if you've got stuff like rot and mold, well, that can make people sick. That's a health and safety issue. You got to take care of that. Maybe some of the other cosmetic things that look great or look nice get pushed to the back so you can make sure that your residents are healthy and be that caring, good landlord that, you know, we identify with versus those folks that have that dissonance. So Amy, Clarksville is amazing. You guys are making money. Anything else you want to tell us about that before we say that this deal went perfect and everything went as (laughs) as planned? There is some good upside Uh, to your, to your point, Jerome. We really do try to identify emerging markets before we jump in and look for properties. So I think we were, we, we did a good job. I'll pat ourselves on the back for that one for realizing how explosive Nashville is and how a neighboring city like Clarksville might benefit from that growth, kind of that corridor effect, if you will, up until Kentucky, up into Kentucky. So we are seeing increased demand. We are seeing, we've seen an Amazon job announcement since we closed. So there are definitely great things. Yeah. An emerging market covers up a, a, a lot of uh, kind of fumblings <laughs> that may happen. The market can save you, but you can't control the market. So you got to do the, your best to make sure you buy an asset at the right cost basis. And they okay. absolutely did here. And they're going to be rewarded handsomely when they make their exit. So, Amy, last question. Words of wisdom for the listeners. Yeah. Let's see. I think my... My best words of wisdom is we can only play the cards that we are dealt. I've been having lots of conversations with people that are either frustrated by, you know, you and I talked about this before the podcast of, you know, whatever struggle we have in life. Everyone has something, right? Everyone has a story. And it is really up to us. And I've tried to live my life this way as well of playing the cards the best way I can and realizing that at the end of the day, I am the only one that can, you know, I can only control myself. I can control how I think. I can control the actions that I take. 
that really is the pathway to, to living our best life and achieving the goals we want to achieve by recognizing it's up to us. It is up to us and not just us, but you, the listener. Until the next time, <laughs> the pack is with you. We'll talk soon. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.